Hallelujah, Lord God. Hmm. Hmm. That's not necessary. I suppose it is. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. I have so many thoughts, but I think I better stay on message. Um, I got a simple message today, and before I start that, I notice there's a lot of extra people over this area. <laughs> um, I've got like six brothers and sisters. I think they're all here, a mom and a dad. I want to dedicate this message to my parents especially. Um, we're having a family reunion. They've been married about 65 years this year. And you know they've done amazing things because they were able to raise me and live to talk about it. But that's not even half the story. Them other six were worse. <laughs> so, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think the reason we're all together in one church today and, and uh, as a family, this, this, my family, and as well as all you guys, <laughs> but is because, uh, for them, is because my parents are people of prayer. I still remember them when I was a little kid, even kneeling down. They knelt down by the bed, and I always remember seeing them pray. So uh, I think God heard some prayers, and so my whole family's together in church today. Hallelujah. Amen. I got a simple message called Keeping It Together. Come, uh, we're not going to turn to Matthew just yet, but Matthew uh, 19. God has, a, has four simple points. God has a plan for you as an individual. God has a plan for you in your marriage. Um, God has a plan. I, I should say the devil wants to destroy that plan. He wants to destroy your marriage, and he, makes it, and he wants to make it look like it's your spouse's fault. It is their fault, right? <laughs> See, he's been working on you. <clears throat> and the last point is fight for your marriage. Fight for the plan God has for your life. God's got a perfect plan for your life. All of us know that scripture, but I've got to go to it again. I'm going to give you about three scriptures on this subject. But he's got a perfect plan for you as an individual. Before the foundations of the world, he created you and he created good things the bible says in ephesians chapter 210 he created good things for you to do and you are his master the bible actually says you are his masterpiece his workmanship and he created work master things for you to do he created amazing things for you to do and in those things that he created you to do and to be is total fulfillment in your life there'll be total fulfillment if we can get in line with what god created us to do Hallelujah. The problem is we have an enemy that's trying to stop that. Um, another scripture that we're all familiar with, most of us, Jeremiah 29, 11, says, I know the plans I have for you. I know, he says, I know I've got plans. This is talking to a nation at the time, a nation that was rebellious, a nation that was living in sin, a nation that was going backwards, and God comes to them through Jeremiah the prophet. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I don't care how bad it's getting. I don't know. I don't care how bad it is with you and your spouse. The, the, the families in that time, they were messed up too. I don't care how, 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 how it's looking in your everyday life. I've got plans for you, God said. Plans of good and not of evil to give you an expected end. I'm a good God. I have good plans. I want you fulfilled. I want the best for you. Now, isn't it something, as I grew up, I always seen God as somebody like this, and I better stay in the parameters or I'm going to get hurt. That's not the God that I gave my life to when I finally 
gave my life to him, all of a sudden I realized he didn't have a big stick. The only big stick he had was the one he was crucified on. And that brought pain into his life, not my life. He wants the best. He's got plans for me. He's got plans for you, and he's got plans for your marriage, and there's an enemy that doesn't want those plans to come to pass. He's working real hard against you. But God, the Bible says, if I by my little finger cast out the devil, God's little finger just starts moving and the devil has to go. He's not too big compared to God. If we can just get a vision of God rather than the enemy that keeps whispering to us, I like this verse, John 15, 16. It says, you have not chosen me. We didn't, none of us first chose God. He says, you haven't chosen me. I chose you and ordained you to go and bear fruit, to go and fruit, bear fruit that will last. You didn't choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit. In other words, to be fruitful. In other words, to have life. In other words, to thrive. I chose you to thrive and to go forth, and that thriving will last. He doesn't want that to ever be cut off. He wants you to thrive forever. God has your best interest in mind. That's why he gives us verses like 1 John 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we would be called, that he has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. He calls us his own children. And then in case we think that he doesn't like the best for us, he goes into Matthew and Luke and he says, you parents, if your son would ask for a, for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he would ask a fish, would you give him a serpent? He says, no, if you guys being sinful, we've been, we are sinful. If you being sinful want to give good things to your children, how much more does your heavenly father want good things for you? He's a good father with good plans. It's not just when he says, I got plans, if you've got plans of good and not of evil, he's talking really good. Us sinful people want to give good stuff to our kids. And he wants to so much more than we do. Ah, that's amazing. That's a good God. Ah. If we're... If we just sit on our couch or we just sit in our job site or we just, we just go to work and go home and watch TV and go to work and go home and watch. If we're just sitting around and thinking, well, he's got plans for me. I wonder when he's going to just, just rain them down out of heaven on me. He's got really good plans for us, but we've got to get into the program before the plans can be bestowed on us. I know a cross-country coach, he's pretty good, I guess. I think he won like four championships out of the last six years. Um, what is his name? Tom Rantner? <laughs> and I can see him going down the corridors of James Valley Christian and looking at them guys and looking, and he's like, man, I got plans for that one. I got plans for that one. I, I got plans for her. I got plans for him. I'll bet he could get every one of them out and get, make winners out of them. But they got to believe him when he says it. And then when the ones that do say, oh, yeah, I bet he can because he's been doing pretty good with the ones that have been coming out. But if all they do, and, and Pastor Tom says, well, you got to probably got to, I don't know how often they run, but if I was Pastor Tom, this is what I'd do. They're probably glad I'm not. But <laughs> I'd say, I think you should be running five miles every morning, and you'd probably put on another three at night. And at noon or something, you might want to go out and just do various exercises. 
And then on Sunday, be sure and work out on Sunday too because you've got to have stamina. And so they began to get into this training program. They do everything he says. They eat and they drink and they, they shower like he tells them to. And all of a sudden they get four state championships out of six years. God's got plans for us, but if we sit around and don't, take, don't come into the instruction, don't, don't begin to, to put in practice the instructions, those plans can never come to pass. And I want you to know when you start putting the instructions into practice, you get on mile four, you start thinking, maybe I don't want the plans. That's why you go to church every Sunday, because it's like, I got to get encouraged, man. I can't run another mile. This is getting too hard. You go to church and it's like, no, man, you're going you're to cross that finish line. And when you're done, you know every time you get done with that fifth and sixth mile, you always feel good the next morning. You always feel good after you've done it. Your mind works better. Your body runs better. Everything works better. And all of us that have stood on this baby for the sixth mile, we always find out there's reward. There is amazing reward. There's reward in our personal life. There's reward in our marriage. There's reward in our family. When everything says you can't go up that one last hill and you go up that hill because the word says stand on that baby, he always comes through and you always win. That's what I like about God. He's, we are more than conquerors, the Bible says, through him that loves us. We're not just maybe conquerors. This is actual truth. We're more than conquerors. So God's got a plan. He's got a future for our marriage as well as for our individual lives. He wants our marriage to look like him, to look like him on earth, a portrait of him in this earth, a portrait of him in our community. He created us to, as a married couple to look like him. And I'm going to give us some scriptures on that. He created us as a married couple to look like him. I just studied this out and I... It's 100% sure he created us to look, uh, the marriage couple to look like God. If somebody comes in and sees a godly marriage, a marriage that's glued together with God, they're going to see two different people. And they're going to go away and they're thinking, I thought I saw two, but I, I really, I thought I saw, it, they, they, it should almost confuse them because our marriages should be so good infiltrated with the presence and the energy of God Almighty. Our marriages should be so amazing that people see two, but they see one. Let's look at the scriptures. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fall of the air over all the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So listen to this. God, first it says, God said, let us make man. He said, let us make man. Why would God singular say let us? Because God is also more than one in one. More than one in one. <laughs> He's three in one. And you, you look at him, but if you look, you look at him, you think you only see one, but if you look real close, you see three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Talks more about that in the New Testament. It's a different sermon. But he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man. Let us make man body, soul, and spirit, just like we're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And God created man in his own image, and it means mankind if you, if you look at it in context, and people that have studied the Hebrew say the same thing, but just context will tell you that when he says man, he really means mankind. So God created man in his own image, mankind in his own image, in the image of God created him, male and female created he them. He created them in his image, he made them male and female, he made mankind in his image, and he made them male and female. Male is not God's image. It proves it right here. Male is not God's image. It says he created them in his own image. Male and female, he created them. If you can get male and female, two married perfectly together, they're going to see the image of God like you can never see it in any other way. And there's a gift called singleness, celibacy, uh, and... and and uh, I don't want to take away from that anybody that's single as I continue to speak. I don't want you to feel like you can't represent God or you're not made in his image because you are. And that gift will help bring out God and people will see that. And that's probably another whole study. But uh, Jesus was the exact radiance of God's glory and he was only one. And he represented God really well. But the thing is, as Norm, God created us, male and female, to so that people could see a portrait of him on the earth. And it says that he, and the next scripture is in chapter 2 of Genesis, and it says he put Adam into a deep sleep. This is how he made them male and female. Put him in a deep sleep, and uh, he reached in and took a rib out of Adam, closed up her to hole, and then he made this amazing being called a woman and brought, it, brought her back to Adam. And Adam looked, and she, he says, I'm going to call her woman. And you know, when I see my woman, I just go, whoa, man. And uh, that's true. <laughs> she gets tired of it. But anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, and, and I'm sure he meant that. But he said, because she came out of me, because she's my own flesh and blood, he said. You read this. Isn't the scriptures interesting? He's, she's my own flesh and blood. She's woman. She come out. Whoa, man means to come out of. And she, he, later on in chapter 3, I believe it is, he calls her Eve as well, the mother of all living. And so um, he presents that the two become one, and they, as a, as a one, as before sin, before corruption comes into the world, they look just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's something that's so perfect, so peaceful, so loving, so beautiful, so connected that people would look at them and say, there's a God, and that God is good, and that God is loving. John 17, 23. This is not even talking about male and female. It's just talking about men and women and everybody. And it says, uh, may they be brought to complete unity. In other words, by his presence and his power to let the world know that you sent me. Now, if just us as a church body were brought to complete unity, all of a sudden people would know that Jesus was sent by the Father. They would just know it. It says right here, if bring him, Father, to complete unity, because then everybody will know you're real. Bring him to complete unity, then everybody will believe. And then he says, let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. A lot of people, amen, do not believe God loves them. Yeah, God loves me, but inside it's like, I don't think God loves me. It says, if we are unified in our marriage, if we're completely one, if we're not accusing each other, if we've got peace rather than chaos in our connection, people know 
there's a God and they want that God. Now, if somebody comes to Jenny and my, my house and they walk in there and they're saying, and they, okay, they get done, they looked at us and they talked to us and they left and they talked to their, their spouse and they go, I saw two people in there, but I thought I only saw one. But I, it's just odd. And I felt God in there. They sh really, this should be happening in our lives. This can happen. This can actually happen more and more and more. And we've probably all in our families have sensed this at different times where we know that people were just drawn and they just wanted because they sensed God working in that at that time. But this is something that needs to be consistent, not once in a while. And so they go, they go away and they're thinking, I saw Jenny and she's wonderful and everything. I saw Mark, he's a jerk, but they were one. <laughs> Somehow they were one. <laughs> I better get brownie points. <laughs> That's humbling. That was hard. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was even nice to Courtney yesterday, wasn't I? <laughs> She's bracing for, <laughs> and I'm <was> still nice. <clears throat> if they can see unity in our marriages, they can see a purpose. They can see that God's got a plan and a purpose for their life and that God loves them, it says in John 17, 23. God has plans for you as an individual. God has plans for you as a married couple. Those plans are not contrary to who you are in your heart. There's some sinful parts in our heart. Yeah, it's contrary to that. But our overall who we are, his plans are not contrary to that. I'm known to have wrestled once in a great while. Every moment of every day of my life, I just can't stop. But I love it. I can lose and have fun. And that, when I was younger, I couldn't do that. But now I learn to lose and have fun because I have big sons. <laughs> and I don't want to hurt them. <laughs> um, so as a wrestler... I'm glad God didn't keep that from me. But I can be that godly person within wrestling. If you are an engineer, you can be that godly person within the engineering. If you're a farmer, you can be that godly person in farming. Somebody else might say something like, like I used to hear, whether it's person, people actually telling me this or just hearing it because of the teachings I heard, but you got to be a Catholic priest. If you're going to go all up with God, you must be a priest. I'll tell you what, I don't do good alone. I need a woman. That one. <laughs> Just in case. Um, <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> These plans are not contrary to who we are. He created us. He created me to be married. He created most people to be married. It's not good. The Bible says it's not good for Mark to be alone, man to be alone. It says it's, uh, it's uh, he that finds a wife finds a really awesome, amazing thing. So don't try to make me be something that I shouldn't be. That's God. That's our good father. He looks at his his children, and he said, that one's really good being that. That one's really good being that. That one's really good being that. 
And the only way you'll be totally satisfied in your career and in anything that God has chosen you to be in is to also be in love with him, to give your life to him. And, and that's the plan he has for you. He has a plan for you that fits you, makes you, makes you thrive. The reason for marriage is to help, God, help people see God's image, number one. Number two, it's a... Uh, let me make sure I'm not going to miss some of the small print here. The second huge reason that God created marriage, number one, as I said a little bit ago, it's not good for man to be alone. And for whatever reason, God decided to make two and, and they could come back together and become one. There was something about Adam's image. Him alone would not make a complete image of God once the woman was taken out. Once the woman was taken out of the side, they had to come back as one in order to truly represent and for people to see God on the earth. A second huge reason for marriage is to help your spouse blossom and thrive and move into the plans of the future that God has for them. To help your spouse become everything God created them to be. Why doesn't somebody teach us this when we first get married or a little bit before that? And pound it in our heads. Because I think this really is a problem in my marriage in the past, and we're still working on it, and in most of your marriages. The reason we get married, and I'll show you the scriptures. I, I always use scripture. The reason we get married is so that our spouse can help us to thrive and to move in the very thing that God created us to be and represent him doing it. We thought we got married for me. We thought we got married because I need somebody to make me good food. <laughs> I need somebody to wash my clothes and iron. I, what else did I want? That, that was about it other than, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> the biggest thing on my heart before I got married is there's got to be an Isaac in the world. <laughs> so uh, first things first, a few months later. <laughs> if, if your spouse doesn't help you become more like Jesus, your children will accomplish it. <laughs> so let me give you some scriptures on that. If we're going to help our spouse bloom and blossom, succeed, go forward in the thing God created them to, to be, we need to know the first thing we need to know, and, and I'm going to get to more fun stuff in a second, as long as we still got time. Um, the first thing we need to know, but we got to know this, it's just kind of a stopgap thing. We got to know that abandonment, desertion, uh, divorce, Bailing out is not an option. With God, we know that when we don't do those things, he can make it work somehow. Now, you'll be at the point of death because, not because your spouse is so bad, but it's because you're so bad. The reason you'll be at the point of death 
It's because you're so bad. You're not dead yet to self. If you were dead to self, you can't hurt a dead man. So God says, what does God say about bailing out? Let's look in uh, these scriptures right here. I'm just going to answer one and a half questions today. The Pharisees asked him two questions. And the first one, a lot of people like to jump down and, and find the answer to the second one, but the first one he answers first. So we want to look at the first question and see what he says as an answer. He says, some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus looked, he about fainted. He thought, are you crazy? And what he really said, he says, haven't you read? But my interpretation of that is, haven't you even read the two first chapters in the Bible, which we just spent a little time on a minute ago? He says, haven't you read, Jesus said, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. Okay, for this reason, when you look at the reason, it says in, in and I spoke about it, but I just want to say it again. In Genesis, it says that woman was taken out of the man. Man looked, Adam looked at her, and he said, wow, that's, that's, that's out of my own flesh and blood. That's part of me. And then, it, and then the next verse in the Old Testament is, this, for this reason, man will leave his father and be united to his wife. Because all of a sudden, the man was missing part of himself. So unless you have the gift of singleness, you need to get married. You guys need to get married. I don't know if you heard me. <laughs> I got a lot of nephews. Anybody on video? I got a lot of nephews of age. Christians. Hallelujah. So they come back together. Because of the reason that they were taken out of each other. And so Jesus says here, he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Again, before I go any further, I talked a little bit about the singles. If you've been divorced once, or five or ten times. This has nothing to do with condemnation. Except for the Jenny of my life, I would be divorced. She loved me when she could have took off. How many times? Was it seven million? <laughs> I lost track. We decided to... <laughs> it take, You know, the Bible says... Well, we'll see that in a second. So... What God's looking at when we see these scriptures in this great period of grace is the marriage you're in now, he wants that one to last. He wants that one to make it. Because he says in the, in the beginning, they asked, well, then why did Moses command a man? Why did, Mo, why did Moses command that a man give a wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Isn't that something? We always think of the law as being so strict and so hard, and yet the law in Moses' time gave the man the ability to divorce his wife and send her away. And from the little bit of studying I've done, back then 
And we know it just from the Bible, even back then, people would have multiple wives and they'll forget about the one that they married. And they abuse her. And they say even other men, they, they let other men abuse her. And so because of the hardness of that husband's heart, Moses permitted them to divorce. But he says, and then Jesus goes on to say, but at the beginning it was not so. Jesus came back to make it like it was at the beginning. So he's saying, you know, in John chapter 1, I think it's verse 17, it says, uh, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. Grace came by Christ Jesus. And so we think the law is so strict. Well, here the law permitted him to divorce, and here now we have grace. And he's saying, with that grace, you can soften your heart. With that grace, you can even be stricter. With that grace, you can love your husband again. You can love your wife again. With that grace, I've got something called forgiveness. I've got something called restart. I've got something go, going back to the beginning and, and starting over. With that grace, we can do better than the law. The law is really strict, and yet it seemed lenient because it made a way out for the wife that was being abused so that somebody could actually treat her so she could have a different husband that would treat her like the queen that she really is. And that, that seems so hard for me because um, I just feel like I got the cultural manliness as I grew up that just, that's just weird. Like she's my queen, and, but she is. And I'm getting used to being like I'm supposed to be, <laughs> kind and loving and, you know, you know, watch Cinderella and put that little slipper on. And, She ain't run out on me yet. She might now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, here's the deal. Nobody ever, they say there's two bad scriptures in the whole Bible that nobody ever wants to read, and one of them's on tithing. Now, I'm not going to worry about that one right now, but we do have to hit this one. And uh, the other one's about marriage and how the husband is head over the wife. And, but I want to start with the husband because if the husband is like the husband ought to be, then I think things are going to work just fine. Say, so marriage is a portrait of God on earth. Marriage is to help us bring to success to our partner, to our married spouse in their individual callings. Now the husband, I hope I, well if I don't I'll just tell you, but I woke up the other morning, I just felt like the Lord was feeding my brain, but I didn't know where to put this, so I'll just put it here. Um, I, just, I just woke up in the morning and, and uh, it just came to me. God never told the husband, I'm going to read the scriptures that he did tell the husband, but God never told the husband, discipline your wife. He did say, discipline your children. He never told him to punish your wife, but he did say, discipline your children. He never told the wife to punish the husband either, but that's what we do. How, we so much line ourselves up with the enemy. As soon as one of us does something wrong, the other one of us likes to start accusing. The right response is not to accuse because all of a sudden you got demonic 
going both ways. The right response is to do what Jesus did when we were, our sin was accusing him and killing him. The right response, you know, we get real silent. We give each other silent treatments. My wife likes massage treatments, but I usually give her silent treatment. But we give that, you know, and I don't know if we've gone two days maybe. It's been a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. We, we, we read out, tell people each other stuff now. <laughs> but I think we do pretty good. We know how to discuss a lot better than we used to. But I can remember, I think two days is probably the most we ever went, but we, didn't, we gave each other the silent treatment. Now, the Bible says for the wife and Peter to let it be the meek and quiet spirit just be quiet, just be meek and quiet, don't respond and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't mean the silent treatment. You'll look quiet both ways, but one way is you're trying to destroy the other person, and one way you're actually trying to build them up and love them. We try to manipulate, we try all kinds of things to punish our spouse. We don't call it punishment. We don't take a stick after them. We could, I mean, it gets to that point with some folks, but... Um, there are ways to punish, and it's so, I'm going to, God wants it to thrive so much, and the devil wants to destroy it so much, is what I'm trying to say. The devil wants to destroy everything you were created to be, and he'll try to use your marriage to do that. If he can bust up your marriage, and you think, well, good, now I'm free, you'll be free for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you're still not able to thrive. Husbands, how, it says for husbands, here it says, be considerate of your wives as you live with them and treat them with respect as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life that, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, I know we have to press in and I know we got to keep praying until God answers. But sometimes our prayers aren't answered because of the way we're treating our spouse and they never will get answered until you finally get the humility to quit trying to control your spouse. I've found that the best way Jenny can control me, the best way I can control her, is leave it up to the Holy Spirit. Don't have to say anything. And again, you don't want to be silent treatment not saying anything, but you don't have to respond in any evil way and try to chip back at what might have hurt you. But rather you say, Holy Spirit, if this needs to be controlled, I'm going to let you control it. It might cost you a little bit. It might cost you a lot. And you're just like, God, are you ever going to do anything here? But if you truly love your wife or your husband, let God do it. He speaks very, very quietly and very persuasively. She's run really well at times where God got real persuasive with me. God wants your marriage to make it and not to make it. He wants it to thrive. He's got, for every marriage here, he has a mission for you. For every marriage here, he wants you to be disciplers of somebody. Somebody's watching you. And the reason the devil's trying to destroy the image of God in your marriage is so that you can't affect nobody. And you've got to quit blaming each other and begin to say, I'm going to help you heal. You're going to help me heal. We're going to go forward. Because all of a sudden we realize it's not him, it's not her, it's the devil. And it is the devil. 
Um, another one on the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the... Well, wouldn't it feel good to just, your wife, just feel cleansed in her emotions, in her heart, in her part of her being? By the washing of water through the word and to, be, and to present her, talking about the church, that Christ would present the church to himself, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, if I love my wife like I love me, and if I love my wife like Jesus loves the church, all I need to do is be permit myself to get up on that cross. What did Jesus do when my sin was killing him? Absolutely nothing other than forgive them, Father, for they don't understand how bad they're hurting me. They don't understand what they're doing to me. If your spouse is hurting you, jump up on the cross and stay there until the Holy Spirit works it out. It's not, it's, it, he'll do it. Don't find some way to punish your, your, your family or your husband or your wife. Now, if I really do wash my wife's feet, if I really do see different things, and uh, I did this just for a sermon illustration, but I saw the waste can this morning, uh, didn't have an inner liner because I took the garbage out and I didn't want to put one in. But later on, I come by there, I'm thinking I should get one in there. And I thought, ah, that'll make a good sermon illustration, so I'll do it. <laughs> my heart's not there yet. No, it, it was there. I do that once in a while. I do things with a good heart. And uh, I stuck it in there, and that's just a really small thing and she may never know I did it. She might have thought she did it. It doesn't matter. I'm supposed to wash her feet. I'm supposed to make things nice for her. I'm supposed to make things easier for her. I'm supposed to help her thrive. I'm supposed to just bless her. I'm supposed to be in love with her like I used to be. Remember pastors talking about coming back to our first love? Let's do that in our marriage. Let's start loving them regardless of how the devil's lied to us and beat up our hearts with each other. Let's figure out how to love them again regardless of what's going on in our heart. And begin to watch things mend and heal. If I'll go the extra mile. If I'll spend time with her. If I'll do these things. Is it going to be hard for her to submit? If I'm actually helping her to thrive in the calling that God called her to. Is it going to be hard for her to submit? Because the Bible says the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Jesus tells me things to do. But when I see what he does for me, it's not real hard for me to do things for him. If I actually was dead, if I actually would die for my wife, if I actually did service and servanthood to her continually, would she not find it much easier to say, oh, it says here, submit to your husband as, as Sarah submitted to Abraham and said, yes, sir, yes, sir. I've only got her to call me Lord one time because one of the versions says called him Lord. And I don't think she meant it, but she did call me Lord. Um, Abraham, he heard from God and he went out. He didn't know where he was going. Sarah said, what did you hear from God? Abraham said, I'm supposed to go that way. Didn't know where he was going. And Sarah said, yes, sir, it's no problem. He must, you know, well, he must have liked her a lot. I mean, she must have really felt love to go out not knowing where they're going. And she obeyed him and called him master. 
Why? Because he was washing her feet constantly. He was loving her constantly. There has to be order in the family. It never ever says children or, or parents submit to your children. It says submit to one another and then it gives a list of who submits to who to keep order in the family. But it's always out of a servant leadership. Those people they submit to, hopefully they'll be servant leaders. It says to even, when it comes to slaves and bad bosses, it, it says to even submit to your the evil ones. But how much better would it be if we were a leader like Jesus? I'm, I would be afraid to ask my beautiful wife to do stuff that might be hard to do if I truly loved her. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So I'm, you know, and I, I can't get into this very deep because of the time, but the, the wife is to submit. The husband is to lay down his life. Which one's harder? I don't know. But we need to do both of them. If you truly lay down your life and all your rights as a husband, you know, all your rights, if your wife would happen to hurt you and cause you pain, can't you just say, Father, forgive her. She doesn't understand what she took from me. I really wanted that, and she took it away, but forgive her, and I forgive her. I, 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 she doesn't have to pay back. I count it paid. Forgiveness is counting it paid. Somebody takes the pain, I'll take it. Now she knows I love her more. Little by little, maybe she'll see a clearer view of Jesus on the cross. And I guess I kind of mean us as a church will see a clearer view the, the more we see how Jesus died for us and we die for each other. Okay, let's get, get to business here. We're almost done. <clears throat> I'm trying to constantly, we, as husband, as wife, we're constantly trying to bring success and thriving to what the spouse is called to. Which role would you rather have, submission or laying down your life? We're called to do both depending on which spouse we are. So if your marriage gets to the point like this, where the husband's laying down his life, serving his wife, bringing a sense of value to her, providing security for her mentally, emotionally, and physically, where the wife is showing respect to her husband, she's honoring him and encouraging him, submitting to him as, as together they hear and discern God's will. Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going, but Sarah said, yes, sir. And so they submit because God led that thing. And if husband and wife are doing these things and your marriage begins to look like God, at that point, you better know how to stand strong. And the reason some of you are having trouble in your marriage is because you were doing it right. And the devil does not like that. And you're being tested and you need to know how to stand strong and how to get that enemy out, and how to preserve your marriage and your calling and the plan God has for your life. The reason some of you are having problems in your marriage, and most of you might, might even know this, when did it start? It started when you, or two of you, started going forward to do the things God called you to do. You stepped out a little further, and bam, you were hit. The devil wants you to remember not to take that step ever again. Well, I want the enemy to remember, don't you ever mess with me again. I've I've done some warfare. I know him up close. Kick his face in. I don't like him. 
Serious, he's real. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the darkness of this world. The problem is principalities. It's big stuff. But compared to God's little finger, it's, even, it's not anything. That's why we hold on to his hand. And we keep it together. <clears throat> Wait, one of my favorite parts. Should I close with this? I got one moment, then I'm done. Uh, could we stand? <clears throat> you guys have been sitting a long time. I'm going to read out of Revelations. All right, here's our situation on earth. It says, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But it was not, a, but it was not strong enough. But he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. You know, the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. He lost his place in heaven. He does not like the fact that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan. He leads the whole world astray. He was hurled through the earth and the angels with him. And, we heard a, and then I heard a loud voice say, Now have come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of God, the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Some people like to say, well, he's up there accusing you before God day and night. No, Jesus is up there telling us how wonderful, saying, Father, I, I paid the price for them. Father, they're innocent. Father, they're putting their trust in me. The accuser is not up there anymore. He's been cast down into, the, into earth, and it says he that... And they overcame, and this one that they cast down, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't even love their life so much as to shrink from death, not even in their marriage situations, and therefore rejoice to you heavens and them that dwell in them. But woe to us on the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to us. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman that went off to make I skipped a few verses, obviously. And then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. When you begin to obey God's command and hold to the testimony of Jesus and, and, and try to go forward as a single or a married couple, the enemy comes after you and he's very angry, it says, and he's after those that hold to the commandments and he's enraged, and he's making war against you. Your husband's not so bad. Your wife's not so bad. The devil is so bad. So we need to know that. Number one, you're being attacked. And then number two, we've got some scriptures here that gave us tactics to fight back and to watch him have to move out of our marriage, out of our life, out of our calling, out of the plan that God has for our life. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for all you're doing in our marriages. We thank you for this word that you've put on our, my heart to bring to this congregation at this time. We thank you, Father God, uh, for just loving your children, for liking us and giving us a way to live and thrive. Help us, Father God, to get into the instruction book Help us, Lord God, to hear what you're saying, just like we would listen to a cross-country coach that had plans for us. 
Lord God, help us to listen to you as our coach and begin to do the workouts. For we know that people in the world do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown. We go into strict training to get a crown that will last forever. Help us to begin. Help us. Somebody today in your heart, today as we're praying, somebody say, I'm going into strict training. Quit worrying about it. Quit being concerned about strict training and just say, I know it'll be better in the end if I go into strict training. I'm going to go in. I'm going to be part of this team called God Team. I'm going to be part of this successful marriage. I'm going to be part of this image of God. I'm going to go forward and find victory. I'm going into strict training intentionally. I'm going to fast if I need to fast, but whatever I need to do, I am going to have a marriage. My marriage is going to look as good or better than any other marriage on the face of the earth. I'm not going to go by what I feel or see the first three months of my intentionality. I'm going to go by what I see when I get in really good shape and begin to win some fights. But I am going to be in strict training. Somebody tell God you'll go into strict training. I'm taking verses out of the Bible. Corinthians chapter 9, it says we go into strict training to win a crown that will last. Hallelujah, Father God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Could I have the prayer ministry people come up? There might only be one left, I think. And I will also pray. Um, if anybody wants prayer as we close out here, for your marriage, maybe it's for just your individual calling, but whatever it is, Nancy here is a, is a very good prayer warrior and she likes to pray for people and she can hear from the Lord as she prays for you and your situation.